Hello there, and welcome to tonight's episode of Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you get a good night's rest. Tonight, a reading of The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Thank you for joining me. If you'd like to get even more readings, be able to give your opinion on the podcast, get in touch with me and more, join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. There you can find exclusive readings like Howl's Moving Castle, We Just Finished New Moon, we'll be starting up a clip soon, and you get to have your say on the books and send me messages and other stuff like that. There is also a YouTube channel if you'd like to get more readings for free. On there, I do a lot of the versions that have the rain sounds in the background. You can find all of the links that you need in the info for this episode, or just go to downtosleeppodcast.com. But wherever you are in the world, let's tuck you in, take a nice deep breath for me, and let's get down to sleep. The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Bennett They found a great deal to do that morning, and Mary was late in returning to the house, and was also in such a hurry to get back to her work that she quite forgot Colin until the last moment. "'Tell Colin I can't come and see him yet,' she said to Martha. "'I'm very busy in the garden.' Martha looked rather frightened. "'Eh, Miss Mary?' she said. It may put him all out of humour when I tell him that. But Mary was not afraid of him, as other people were, and she was not a self-sacrificing person. I can't stay, she answered. Dickon's waiting for me. And she ran away. The afternoon was even lovelier and busier than the morning had been. Already nearly all the weeds were cleared out of the garden, and most of the roses and trees had been pruned or dug about. Dickon had brought a spade of his own, and he had taught Mary to use all her tools, so that by this time it was plain that though the lovely wild place was not likely to become a gardener's garden, it would be a wilderness of growing things before springtime was over. "'There'll be apple blossoms and cherry blossoms overhead,' Dickon said, working away with all his might. There'll be peach and plum trees in bloom against the walls, and the grass'll be a carpet of flowers. The little fox and the rook were as happy and busy as they were, and the robin and his mate flew backward and forward like tiny streaks of lightning. Sometimes the rook flapped his black wings and soared away over the treetops in the park. Each time he came back and perched near Dickon, and cawed several times as if he were relating his adventures. And Dickon talked to him, just as he had talked to the robin. Once, when Dickon was so busy that he did not answer him at first, Soot flew onto his shoulders and gently tweaked his ear with his large beak. When Mary wanted to rest a little, Dickon sat down with her under a tree and once he took his pipe out of his pocket and played the soft, strange little notes, and two squirrels appeared on the wall and looked and listened. "'That's a good bit stronger than I was,' Dickon said, looking at her as she was digging. "'That's beginning to look different, for sure.' Mary was glowing with exercise and good spirits. 
I'm getting fatter and fatter every day, she said, quite exultantly. Mrs. Medlock will have to get me some bigger dresses. Martha says my hair is growing thicker. It isn't so flat and stringy. The sun was beginning to set, and sending deep gold-coloured rays slanting under the trees when they parted. It'll be fine tomorrow, said Dickon. I'll be at work by sunrise. So will I, said Mary. She ran back to the house as quickly as her feet would carry her. She wanted to tell Colin about Dickon's fox cub and the rook, and about what the springtime had been doing. She felt sure he would like to hear, so it was not very pleasant when she opened the door of her room to see Martha standing, waiting for her with a doleful face. "'What's the matter?' she asked. "'What did Colin say when you told him I couldn't come?' "'Hey,' said Martha, "'I wish thou had gone. "'He was nigh going into one of his tantrums. "'There's been a nice to-do all afternoon to keep him quiet. "'He'd watched the clock all time.' "'Mary's lips pinched themselves together. "'She was no more used to considering other people than Colin was.' and she saw no reason why an ill-tempered boy should interfere with the thing she liked best. She knew nothing about the pitifulness of people who had been ill and nervous, and who did not know that they could control their tempers, and need not make other people ill and nervous too. When she had had a headache in India, she had done her best to see that everybody else also had a headache or something quite as bad. And she felt she was quite right. But of course, now she felt that Colin was quite wrong. He was not on his sofa when she went into his room. He was lying flat on his back in bed, and he did not turn his head toward her as she came in. This was a bad beginning and Mary marched up to him with her stiff manner. "'Why didn't you get up?' she said. "'I did get up this morning, when I thought you were coming,' he answered without looking at her. "'I made them put me back in bed this afternoon. "'My back ached and my head ached and I was tired. "'Why didn't you come?' "'I was working in the garden with Dickon,' said Mary.' Colin frowned and condescended to look at her. "'I won't let that boy come here if you go and stay with him instead of coming to talk to me.' Mary flew into a fine passion. She could fly into a passion without making a noise. She just grew sour and obstinate, and did not care what happened. "'If you send Dickon away, I'll never come into this room again.' she retorted. "'You'll have to if I want you,' said Colin. "'I won't,' said Mary. "'I'll make you,' said Colin. "'They shall drag you in.' "'Shall they, Mr. Raja?' said Mary fiercely. "'They may drag me in, but they can't make me talk when they get me here. "'I'll sit and clench my teeth and never tell you one thing. "'I won't even look at you.' I'll stare at the floor. 
they were a nice, agreeable pair, as they glared at each other. If they had been two little street boys, they would have sprung at each other and had a rough-and-tumble fight. As it was, they did the next thing to it. "'You are a selfish thing,' cried Colin. "'What are you?' said Mary. "'Selfish people always say that. "'Anyone is selfish who doesn't do what they want. "'You're more selfish than I am. "'You're the most selfish boy I ever saw.' "'I'm not,' snapped Colin. "'I'm not as selfish as your fine Dickon is. "'He keeps you playing in the dirt "'when he knows I'm all by myself. "'He's selfish, if you like.' "'Mary's eyes flashed fire. "'He's nicer than any other boy that ever lived. "'He's... he's like an angel.' "'It might sound rather silly to say that, "'but she did not care.' "'A nice angel,' Colin sneered ferociously. "'He's a common cottage boy off the moor?' "'He's better than a common Raja,' retorted Mary. "'He's a thousand times better.' "'Because she was the stronger of the two, "'she was beginning to get the better of him. "'The truth was that he had never had a fight "'with anyone like himself in his life, "'and upon the whole... It was rather good for him, though neither he nor Mary knew anything about that. He turned his head on his pillow and shut his eyes, and a big tear was squeezed out and ran down his cheek. He was beginning to feel pathetic and sorry for himself, not for anyone else. I'm not as selfish as you, because I'm always ill, and I'm sure there's a lump coming on my back, and I'm going to die. You're not, contradicted Mary unsympathetically. He opened his eyes quite wide with indignation. He'd never heard such a thing said before. He was at once furious and slightly pleased, if a person could be both at one time. "'I'm not,' he cried. "'I am. "'You know I am. "'Everybody says so.' "'I don't believe it,' said Mary sourly. "'You just say that to make people sorry. "'I believe you're proud of it. "'I don't believe it. "'If you were a nice boy, it might be true. "'But you're too nasty.' "'In spite of his invalid back, "'Colin sat up in bed in quite a healthy rage.' "'Get out of the room,' he shouted, and he caught hold of his pillow and threw it at her. He was not strong enough to throw it far, and it only fell at her feet. But Mary's face looked as pinched as a nutcracker. "'I'm going,' she said, "'and I won't come back.' She walked to the door, and when she reached it she turned round and spoke again. I was going to tell you all sorts of nice things. Dickon brought his fox and his rook, and I was going to tell you all about them. Now I won't tell you a single thing. She marched out of the door and closed it behind her. And there, to her great astonishment, she found the trained nurse, 
standing as if she had been listening. And more amazing still, she was laughing. She was a big, handsome young woman who ought not to have been a trained nurse at all. She could not bear invalids. And she was always making excuses to leave Colin to Martha or anyone else who would take her place. Mary had never liked her. And she simply stood and gazed up at her as she stood giggling into her handkerchief. "'What are you laughing at?' she asked her. "'That you two young ones,' said the nurse. "'It's the best thing that could happen to this sickly, pampered thing. "'Have someone stand up to him that's as spoiled as himself.' And she laughed into her handkerchief again. "'If he'd have had a young sister to fight with, "'it would have been the saving of him.' "'Is he going to die?' "'I don't know, and I don't care,' said the nurse. "'Hysterics and temper are half what ails him.' "'What are hysterics?' asked Mary. "'You'll find out if you work him into a tantrum after this. "'But at any rate, you've given him something to have hysterics about, "'and I'm glad of it.' Mary went back to her room, not feeling at all as she had felt when she had come in from the garden. She was cross and disappointed, but not at all sorry for Colin. She had looked forward to telling him a great many things, and she had meant to try to make up her mind whether it would be safe to trust him with the great secret. She had been beginning to think it would be, but now she had changed her mind entirely. She would never tell him, and he could stay in his room and never get any fresh air and die if he liked. It would serve him right. She felt so sour and unrelenting that for a few minutes she almost forgot about Dickon and the green veil creeping over the world and the soft wind blowing down from the moor. Martha was waiting for her, and the trouble in her face had been temporarily replaced by interest and curiosity. There was a wooden box on the table, and its cover had been removed, and revealed that it was full of neat packages. "'Mr. Craven sent it to you,' said Martha. "'It looks as if it had picture books in it. Mary remembered what he had asked her the day she had gone to his room. Do you want anything? Dolls, toys, books? She opened the package, wondering if he had sent a doll, and also wondering what she would do with it if he had. But he had not sent one. There were several beautiful books, such as Colin had, and two of them were about gardens and full of pictures. There were two or three games, and there was a beautiful little writing case with a gold monogram on it, and a gold pen and inkstand. Everything was so nice that her pleasure began to crowd her anger out of her mind. She had not expected him to remember her at all, and her hard little heart grew quite warm. I can write better than I can print, she said. 
and the first thing I shall write with that pen will be a letter to tell him I'm much obliged. If she had been friends with Colin, she would have run to show him her presence at once. They would have looked at the pictures and read some of the gardening books and perhaps tried playing the games. He would have enjoyed himself so much he would never once have thought he was going to die or put his hand on his spine to see if there was a lump coming. He had a way of doing that which she could not bear. It gave her an uncomfortable, frightened feeling because he always looked so frightened himself. He said that if he felt even quite a little lump some day, he should know his hunch had began to grow. Something he'd heard Mrs. Medlock whispering to the nurse had given him the idea and he'd thought over it in secret until it was quite firmly fixed in his mind. Mrs. Medlock had said his father's back had begun to show its crookedness in that way when he was a child. He had never told anyone but Mary that most of his tantrums, as they called them, grew out of his hysterical, hidden fear. Mary had been sorry for him when he had told her. He always began to think about it when he was cross or tired, she said to herself. And he's been cross today. Perhaps he's been thinking about it all afternoon. She stood still, looking down at the carpet and thinking. I said I would never go back again. She hesitated, knitting her brows. But perhaps, just perhaps... I'll go and see if he wants me in the morning. Perhaps he'll try to throw a pillow at me again, but I think I'll go. She had got up very early in the morning and had worked hard in the garden, and she was tired and sleepy. So as soon as Martha had brought her supper and she had eaten it, she was glad to go to bed. She laid her head on her pillow and murmured to herself, I'll go out before breakfast and work with Dickon, and then afterward, I believe, I'll go to see him. She thought it was the middle of the night when she was awakened by such dreadful sounds that she jumped out of bed in an instant. What was it? The next minute she felt quite sure she knew. Doors were opened and shut, and there were hurrying feet in the corridors, and someone was crying and screaming at the same time, screaming and crying in a horrible way. "'It's Colin,' she said. "'He's having one of those tantrums the nurse called hysterics. "'How awful it sounds!' As she listened to the sobbing screams, she did not wonder that people were so frightened that they gave him his own way in everything, rather than hear them. She put her hands over her ears and felt sick and shivering. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, she kept saying. I can't bear it. Once she wondered if he would stop if she dared go to him and then she remembered how he had driven her out of the room and thought that perhaps the sight of her might make him worse. Even when she pressed her hands more tightly over her ears, 
She could not keep the awful sounds out. She hated them so, and was so terrified by them, that suddenly they began to make her angry, and she felt as if she should like to fly into a tantrum herself, and frighten him as he was frightening her. She was not used to anyone's tempers but her own. She took her hands from her ears, and sprang up, and stamped her foot. He ought to be sopped. Somebody ought to make him stop. Somebody ought to beat him, she cried out. Just then, she heard feet almost running down the corridor. Then her door opened, and the nurse came in. She was not laughing now, by any means. She even looked rather pale. He's worked himself into hysterics, she said in a great hurry. He'll do himself harm. No one can do anything with him. You come and try, like a good child. He likes you. He turned me out of the room this morning, said Mary, stamping her foot with excitement. The stamp rather pleased the nurse. The truth was that she had been afraid she might find Mary crying and hiding her head under the bedclothes. That's right, she said. You're in the right humour. You go and scold him. Give him something new to think of. Do go, child, as quick as you can. It was not until afterward that Mary realised that the thing had been funny as well as dreadful. That it was funny that all the grown-up people were so frightened that they came to a little girl, just because they guessed she was almost as bad as Colin himself. She flew along the corridor, and the nearer she got to the screams, the higher her temper mounted. She felt quite wicked by the time she reached the door. She slapped it open with her hand and ran across the room to the four-posted bed. You stop, she almost shouted. You stop. I hate you. Everybody hates you. I wish everybody would run out of the house and let you scream yourself to death. You will scream yourself to death in a minute, and I wish you would. A nice, sympathetic child could neither have thought nor said such things. But it just happened that the shock of hearing them was the best possible thing for this hysterical boy whom no one had ever dared to restrain or contradict. He had been lying on his face, beating his pillow with his hands, and he actually almost jumped around. He turned so quickly to the sound of the furious little voice. His face looked dreadful, white and red and swollen. He was gasping and choking, but savage little Mary did not care an atom. "'If you scream another scream,' she said, "'I'll scream too, "'and I can scream louder than you can, "'and I'll frighten you. "'I'll frighten you.' He actually had stopped screaming, because she had startled him so. The scream which had been coming almost choked him, the tears were streaming down his face, and he shook all over. "'I can't stop,' he gasped and sobbed. "'I can't.' 
I can't. You can, shouted Mary. Half that ails you is hysterics and temper. Just hysterics, 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 and she stamped each time she said it. I felt the lump. I felt it, choked out Colin. I knew I should. I'll have a hunch on my back and then I'll die. He began to writhe again and turned on his face and sobbed and wailed, but he didn't scream. You didn't feel a lump, contradicted Mary fiercely. If you did, it was only a hysterical lump. Hysterics make lumps. There's nothing the matter with your horrid back. Nothing but hysterics. Turn over and let me look at it. She liked the word hysterics, and felt somehow as if it had an effect on him. He was probably like herself, and had never heard it before. Nurse, she commanded, come here and show me his back this minute. The nurse, Mrs. Medlock, and Martha had been standing huddled together near the door, staring at her, their mouths half open. All three had gasped with fright more than once. The nurse came forward as if she were half afraid. Colin was heaving with great breathless sobs. Perhaps he won't let me? She hesitated in a low voice. Colin heard her, however, and he gasped out between two sobs. Show her. She'll see then. It was a poor, thin back to look at. Every rib could be counted, every joint of the spine, though Mistress Mary did not count them as she bent over and examined them with a solemn, savage little face. She looked so sour and old-fashioned that the nurse turned her head aside to hide the twitching of her mouth. There was just a minute's silence, for even Colin tried to hold his breath while Mary looked up and down his spine, and down and up, as intently as if she had been the great doctor from London. "'There's not a single lump there,' she said at last. "'There's not a lump as big as a pin, except backbone lumps. "'And you can only feel them because you're thin. "'I've got backbone lumps myself, "'and they used to stick out as much as yours do, "'until I began to get fatter, "'and I'm not fat enough yet to hide them. "'There's not a lump as big as a pin. "'If you ever say there is again, I shall laugh.' No one but Colin himself knew what effect those crossly spoken childish words had on him. If he ever had anyone to talk to about his secret terrors, if he had ever dared to let himself ask questions, if he had had childish companions and had not lain on his back in this huge closed house, breathing an atmosphere heavy with the fears of people who were most of them ignorant and tired of him. He would have found out that most of his fright and illness was created by himself. 
but he had lain and thought of himself and his aches and weariness for hours and days and months and years. And now that an angry, unsympathetic little girl insisted obstinately that he was not as ill as he thought, he actually felt as if she might be speaking the truth. I didn't know that he thought he had a lump on his spine. His back's weak because he won't try to sit up. I could have told him that there was no lump there, said the nurse. Colin gulped and turned his face a little to look at her. C could you? he said pathetically. Yes, sir. There, said Mary, and she gulped too. Colin turned on his face again, and but for his long-drawn broken breaths, which were the dying down of his storm of sobbing, he lay still for a minute, though great tears streamed down his face and wet the pillow. Actually, the tears meant that a curious great relief had come to him. Presently he turned and looked at the nurse again, and strangely enough, he was not like a Raja at all as he spoke to her. Do you think I could live to grow up? The nurse was neither clever nor soft-hearted, but she could repeat some of the London doctor's words. You probably will if you will do what you are told to do, and not give way to your temper, and stay out a great deal in the fresh air. Colin's tantrum had passed. He was weak and worn out with crying, and this perhaps made him feel gentle. He put out his hand a little toward Mary, and I'm glad to say that her own tantrum having passed, she was softened too, and met him halfway with her hand, so that it was a sort of making up. I'll... I'll go out with you, Mary, he said. I shan't hate fresh air, if we can find... He remembered just in time to stop himself from saying, if we can find the secret garden, and he ended, I shall like to go out with you if Dickon will come and push my chair. I do so want to see Dickon and the fox and the crow. The nurse remade the tumbled bed, and shook and straightened the pillows. She made Colin a cup of beef tea and gave a cup to Mary, who really was very glad to get it after her excitement. Mrs. Medlock and Martha gladly slipped away, and after everything was neat and calm and in order, the nurse looked as if she would very gladly slip away also. She was a healthy young woman, who resented being robbed of her sleep, and she yawned quite openly as she looked at Mary, who had pushed her big footstool close to the four-posted bed, and was holding Colin's hand. "'You must go back and get your sleep out,' she said. "'He'll drop off after a while, if he's not too upset. "'Then I'll lie down myself in the next room.' 
Would you like me to sing you that song I learned from my ayah? Mary whispered to Colin. His hand pulled hers gently, and he turned his tired eyes on her appealingly. Oh yes, he answered. It's such a soft song. I shall go to sleep in a minute. I'll put him to sleep, Mary said to the yawning nurse. You can go if you like. Well, said the nurse, with an attempt at reluctance. If he doesn't go to sleep in half an hour, you must call me. Very well, answered Mary. The nurse was out of the room in a minute, and as soon as she was gone, Colin pulled Mary's hand again. I almost told, he said, but I stopped myself in time. I won't talk, and I'll go to sleep. But you said you had a whole lot of nice things to tell me. Have you? Do you think you've found out anything at all about a way into the garden? The secret garden? Mary looked at his poor little tired face and swollen eyes, and her heart relented. Yes, she answered, I think I have. And if you will go to sleep, I will tell you tomorrow. His hand quite trembled. Oh, Mary, he said. Mary, if I could get into it, I think I should live to grow up. Do you suppose that, instead of singing the Aya song, you could just tell me softly, as you did the first day, what you imagine it looks like inside? I'm sure it will make me go to sleep. Yes, answered Mary. Shut your eyes. He closed his eyes and lay quite still, and she held his hand and began to speak very slowly and in a very low voice. I think it has been left alone so long that it has grown all into a lovely tangle. I think the roses have climbed and climbed and climbed until they hang from the branches and walls and creep over the ground, almost like a strange grey mist. Some of them have died, but many are alive, and when the summer comes there will be curtains and fountains of roses. I think the ground is full of daffodils and snowdrops and lilies and iris working their way out of the dark. Now the spring has begun. Perhaps, perhaps. The soft drone of her voice was making him stiller and stiller, and she saw it and went on. Perhaps they are coming up through the grass. Perhaps there are clusters of purple crocuses and gold ones even now. Perhaps the leaves are beginning to break out and uncurl. And perhaps the grey is changing and a green gauze veil is creeping and creeping over everything. And the birds are coming to look at it. 
because it is so safe and still. And perhaps, 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 the robin has found a mate and is building a nest. And Colin was asleep. And that is where we close the book tonight, on this episode of Down to Sleep. There is no better place to end it than with a soft, off-to-sleep moment. That's what we're here for. I hope you enjoyed this reading. I'll see you next time. Thank you, and good night.